Hey, everyone. Welcome to Misaligned. This week, I have on Bobby Darling as a guest. Some of you may have heard of him because he was in Gatsby's American Dream. Others of you might know him from The Money Pit. And if you don't know him at all, I suggest checking out one or both of those bands. But how are you doing today, Bobby? I'm doing pretty good. I'm uh, just uh, chilling at home, uh, getting my podcast on for Misaligned. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Same thing as I am doing too. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just it's a little different because we usually just are talking about Star Wars, and now we yes, have to talk. Yes. We have to talk about me, and that's really strange. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't we go ahead and jump right into the talk all about you? When did you really first get into music and realize you wanted to be in bands? Um. Let's see, I started playing guitar when I was 16. Uh, one of my buddies was learning how. And I I remember uh, when I was a kid thinking that, um, you know, gosh, I sure wish I would have learned how to play guitar. It's too late now. When I was like 14, for some reason, I thought it was just something that <laughs> if you didn't learn when you were like five years old, you just would never be able to. It just looked like gibberish to me. <laughs> right. Like I looked at like someone playing guitar like I look at someone playing like jazz flute or something. I mean, like, like I'm just like, I have no fucking idea how that works. And, yeah. <laughs> and then my buddy showed me what a power chord was. And I was like, what? The? Like, this, it's that easy. And um yeah, but from from there it was like I just I started learning, you know. I think the first thing I learned how to play was I taught myself how to play the Weezer Blue album, um, and I, you know I, I moved on from that to learning how to play Green Day Dookie, and then I learned how to play um, MXPX's Life in General. Um, okay. And then I started getting into more like tech punk stuff where I, I you know, I learned how to play Lagwagon songs and I learned how to play like no effects is punk and drub lick. And then I started getting into like propagandi and all sorts of crazy technical punk. And yeah, my guitar playing just kind of, you know, evolved from there. Nice. And obviously starting in high school, did you have sort of an idea that you wanted to start a band with some of your high school friends or was it just more something you were doing as a hobby just to learn guitar? Um, I don't think that I ever thought that I would, uh, be, you know, uh, even somewhat professional at it, uh, un until, you know, probably when Gatsby's got going, uh, you know, I was always pretty self-deprecating about it. Like I, I, I thought I had a knack for, you know, figuring out the guitar and stuff, but I just, I just, again, it was that kind of idea that, well, the people that are up there on the stage doing that, they've been doing this forever and they know so much more than I do. So I, you know, how would I ever do something like that? It just never even occurred to me. Um, and then, you know, after, after high school, I started getting a little bit more serious about it and it was kind of shocking to me when we got a record deal. <laughs> right. Right. And Gatsby started around 2001 and you guys have I believe it's four LPs and one EP. I'm more familiar with your stuff on Fearless Records just because I interned there two summers in a row. And I believe the second summer, my boss just gave me the entire back catalog for Fearless Records that they had. <laughs> so I was like, oh, this is what you guys used to release <laughs> before I got here. And, you know, that was kind of a cool look into the past of the label because a lot of it has changed now as far as the type of music they're releasing so when you guys did that second album on fearless 
was that the first time you were signed to a label? Was the first release an independent release? Uh, no. So we, we, okay. the first two records that we did, they were called, uh, why we fight. And then ribbons and sugar were both, um, with this local Seattle label called rocket star. And, um, that label, uh, they actually put out Acceptance's first uh, couple releases, and um, okay. and Kalen from Acceptance was friends with the the guy who ran Rock, Rocket Star, and he um, he told them all about Gatsby's and kind of got us signed with our first deal, and that's how me and Kalen became friends, and um, you know, so it was it was a small label, it was, you know, very very indie, but they gave us good recording budgets, and you know, we were able to make some pretty cool records and. And that, you know, kind of opened the door for us to get out in the, to the like more national scene. So, yeah. And then, then, you know, Fearless obviously was like a, our first exposure to like a really, you know, big, relatively speaking label. Um, And, you know, just with like a lot more tools at our disposal, a lot more access to distribution and publicity and that kind of stuff. Right. And with that Fearless record, you guys hit the billboard charts for the top heat seekers and top independent albums charts. Was that something that was sort of surreal to the band as a whole? I don't even know that anything was surreal. It, like we, I, I don't know if it's just this self-deprecating thing that I've always struggled with or something, but like we were always, I just look back on it and we were always so down on ourselves. Like we were just always like, you know, yeah, I guess I guess something good will happen at some point, but we were never it never really occurred to us that like, man, this is really awesome because <laughs> we right. we always kind of felt like underdogs and we always, you know, cuz our our music was just a little bit like off kilter from the bands we would tour with and um, you know, so yeah, like even even when the record came out and sold pretty well, like you know, we never I never even thought that we were successful or that we had done well. Like I always just kind of looked at our our peers who had done better and just been like, man, I wish we were doing as good as those guys. <laughs> it was really stupid, but uh, Folly's a youth. <laughs> <laughs> right. And the name Gatsby's American Dream comes from the Great Gatsby novel, right? It does. So how did you guys come up with that? Because a lot of times you'll see these bands that are named after songs another band did and it's sort of like they keep it in the music scene but you guys went out of that and did something that maybe some people would find it extremely nerdy but as someone who reads a lot I find this totally normal and completely acceptable to (laughs) sort of name your band after a book and not you know exact same title as the book but obviously it's the idea that this book was based around you know, it, it had a nice ring to it. And I was just completely pretentious at the time. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it, it was, it, it, it all ended up working out in a neat way because, you know, so much of our music kind of gravitated more towards genre type stuff where we would sing about kind of ideas explored in sci-fi novels and in genre television shows. And, and just, we, we definitely wore our, you know, our nerd card on our sleeve. And, and so, you know, it was, it was it was fine that that was our name. Like I look back and I'm just like, gosh, I was such a dork. <laughs> but, but, right. <laughs> yeah. You know, I I think it was just you know we were throwing around names and that was something that I just kind of popped out of my head and everyone's like, yeah, that sounds cool. Let's do that. <laughs> and then we were stuck with it. <laughs> nice. And after your fourth album, which was the self-titled album you guys went on a bit of a hiatus and then sort of resurfaced again in 2010 so is the band still 
working on new stuff or are you guys sort of just taking it day by day and sort of seeing where everyone in the band is at and if it's something you still want to do we've we've kicked around the idea of working on some new stuff like especially with you know in light of the politically charged atmosphere in our country right now you know it's like we definitely all think about this kind of stuff a lot and have a lot to say and that was kind of it's funny I don't mean to be like referencing myself or something but that was that was like you know a kind of a focal point of you know our band and some of our songs is that you know we 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 always felt like we were writing songs because we had something important that we wanted to say and we weren't just writing songs for the sake of writing songs or writing songs to make money or meet girls or any of that kind of stuff like it was you know we we it was it was always really important to us that we were kind of challenging how people thought and and kind of engaging in dialogue with people listening to our music and that you know we really wanted to say something and you know, there's, there's a lot to say now. <laughs> I mean, there's, right. there's just a, I mean, there's just so much it's, it's hard to even put into, you know, words in a concise way anymore. And it's the, the, the world is just the whole, the ground has just shifted beneath our feet, you know, so profoundly in the past year and we're all just trying to catch up. And, um, you know, so, so yeah, we, we actually, you know, we've gotten into a text thread and kind of kicked around the idea of uh, getting together to jam to work on some stuff and see what happens, but that's no promises. So don't get, anyone get excited about it. But we, <laughs> we're, we're considering it. The, the 2010, you know, the, the 2010 thing when we got, you know, back together and we, you know, we flew around and did some festival shows and we recorded some new music um, that uh, for equal vision and, um, and that was, that was like really fun. It was neat to kind of revisit, uh, Gatsby's and those shows were just amazing. Um, and like we, we played South by Southwest in this, like, we played this like tiny room. Like you could only fit like, I don't know, maybe like 200 people in there or something. And there was just a line out the street and like the, the place just went insane. Like it was, I mean, it was just like, it just felt like a punk rock show from when you were a kid. Cause we were basically playing on the floor. And it wasn't like on some stage with lighting and like a, a barrier between us and the audience, which is how so much of the, you know, last couple of years of Gatsby's was, it was like, it was like just straight up like punk rock people jumping on the stage and I mean, moshing and knocking speakers over. I mean, it was like, it was like, man, this is awesome. <laughs> you know, but <laughs> right. uh, unfortunately, you know, all of us were so, you know, we've gotten older and have kind of commitments with our careers and stuff that we couldn't go back on tour full time. And um, you know, some of us have kids, we're all married and stuff. And, um, so, but, but yeah, I think, I think definitely recording a, a new album at some point is something that's on all of our radar. Yeah, definitely. And I think I totally misspoke earlier. It was not your second album, but your second album on Fearless that hit the Billboard charts. So that was the self-titled album. And before that, you released Volcano through Fearless. That's right. That's right. Yes. I realized I you know, had one of those moments where I just did not read words in the right order. And I was like, oh, that makes a lot more sense. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think anyone would even notice. (laughs) No. So while all of you were in Gatsby's, there seems to have been a ton of side projects going on at the same time as you guys were in between albums and whatnot. And I know Zero Cool is one of the ones you were in. So tell me a little about that band and sort of how that side project came to be. <laughs> there's there's not really a lot to the band. It, it was just it was me and uh, Thomas Dutton from Forgive Durden, and um, 
you know, we, we've been friends forever and I, I'm a huge fan of Forgive Durden and I think the feeling's mutual. I hope so. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, you know, we'd always talked about working on a project together and, uh, one day he happened to be in town and I was in town and I was like, let's fuck it. Let's go record a whole album at Casey's house in one day at Casey Bates' studio. And so we went over there and we drank beer and wrote a whole album's worth of music just on bass and drums and started recording. We just recorded, we recorded all the bass to the entire record. And then we recorded the drums, bass, guitars, and vocals to the first song. And then we just never finished the rest of the record. <laughs> but, but we, that one song we did was called Godzilla and somehow it leaked online. I think like alt press and ended up like putting it online at some point. And, um, so people kind of got a kick out of it and it was, I thought that, that thing was like really cool. And me and Thomas, we still to this day talk about revisiting zero cool and, we, the whole the whole premise was to like to start this do that the songs completely backwards like we were gonna start with all the song names before we had anything else written and then we were gonna record all the bass lines to all the songs and then the drums and then write guitars and then write vocal like it was just all gonna be totally backwards and uh, and we like planned it out by like mapping out all the tempos and everything before we even picked up a guitar and it was just we were just ridiculous kids <laughs> right and. That's not the only project you have worked on either. I know currently you are working on some solo stuff. And back in 2010, you released music under the moniker Places and Numbers. So was that sort of your starting point on doing solo work outside of your bands? Um, yeah, I mean, that was that was definitely my first thing that I did completely on my own. Um, uh, I, you know, after after Gatsby's went on hiatus, uh I did a record with um, some of the Acceptance guys uh, and some of the Gatsby's guys. We did this thing called Search Rescue, um, and that's on Spotify. And it's it's definitely worth a listen for people that that don't know about it because it's it's like a little unheard gem in our catalog. But um, it was kind of up the alley of like I don't know somewhere in the, around Coldplay and One Republic and that kind of vibe. Um, and we we just were you know, really into taking a stab at that kind of stuff. So we, we made, we made that record and we flew out and did some festivals. Like we did CMJ and South by Southwest. And we, I can't remember the name of the label, but the record never even came out in the States, but it, it got released in Japan. <laughs> and, and, um, we got, we had like one of the songs where it was like used on like a Kate Hudson movie trailer or something. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> it, it, it was just a very bizarre detour from my, my standard, you know, musical career, but it was a, a really fun kind of experiment. But that was like, yeah, that was like my first experiment into kind of writing a little bit more pop music. And that's, that's kind of what led me into doing Places and Numbers, which the songs were, you know, much more kind of electronic pop bass. Yeah, definitely. And it seems like from Gatsby's on people involved in Gatsby's have really sort of continued to work with Casey Bates on their records is there any particular reason for that or did everyone sort of just really like his style and what he does as a producer you know we we had a really cool scene going in um in Seattle you know for several years uh it was just it was, it was a neat community. It was like, you know, we, we came up, um, you know, just playing little punk rock shows and, and, uh, you know, I, I remember we, we would play with like, um, I don't know, just local bands. We played with Acceptance and then, you know, when some other local bands started getting going, like, uh, Forgive Durden and This Providence and Daphne Loves Derby and, 
um, this band Man Without Wax. There was just, there was just so many cool bands. We'd, we'd open for like Rocky Vadalado and um, you know we just it was it was just a, just a really really neat scene. And Casey worked with most of those artists. You know, like he he we were like his first band that he really started working with. And then he um, he did I think the Forgive Durden EP. Uh, and then their record, and he did this Providence's first couple records, and um, he did Daphne Loves Derby's first record, and he was just really involved in the whole scene, and uh, you know, it's just he's just kind of the the go to guy. It was a it was just a really neat network, and it was just a fun time. Like all the bands were friends, you know, most of us toured with each other at some point or another, and we'd hang out and drink and you know sing backups on each other's records and help write parts and just. It was just, gosh, it was just one of the best times of my life. It was really cool. Yeah, and is he sort of a hands-on producer? Does he just sit back, let the band do their thing, and then provide feedback as he thinks it's necessary? He's a he's just a strange cat. You know, me and Casey grew up together. <laughs> I've, I've known Casey since I was like, I don't know, 13 or something or 12. But he uh, he's just, he's a weird guy. Like, he's like the smartest person I know in the whole world. Like, I mean, he just, he can... I mean, he knows how to like, you know, freaking wire circuit boards and, you know, do electrical on houses and, um, just, I mean, just about anything you could think of. He completely taught himself how to write code and do computers and learn how to produce. And just, he just, just an incredibly brilliant guy. Um, and he is very kind of with some regard to some, you know, parts of being in a studio, he's, he's remarkably hands off. Like he, he he doesn't he'll never like say hey i need i'm going to write a different part for you for your song like some guys some producers like to write and they like to get involved in that process right. he, he hates that he's just not interested he he is more someone that he, he's kind of a dick so he'll like like <laughs> i'll bring in a song and you know we'll be recording it he's like I don't like that part. And I'm like, well, what should I do? He's like, I don't know. Make it better. <laughs> and, and so that's kind of how his process works. And I know that he does get more hands-on with, you know, other artists. It kind of depends on the, the situation. But our working relationship has always been that he he's kind of like hands-off dick that, like, you know, basically makes – he brings out the best in my game. Like, he always tries to make me take it to the next level and challenges me to not just go with my – you know, initial gut instinct and to, you know, push things a little bit more, be a little bit more, more creative, you know, to make parts elevate a little bit more to get out of my comfort zone. So, and I, I, th- I think everyone could pretty much say it about him that's worked with him, that he, he takes you out of your comfort zone and kind of gets you, you know, where, when you finish a record with him, you're just like stoked on it. Like you're stoked on another band's record. You're just like, holy shit, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure you being friends with him and having worked with him so long, it's, probably a different dynamic than say him having a new band come in the studio and record with him for the first time yeah i mean i can't i i can't even imagine what it's like for like some young band to go record with him because like he's made so many like cool records like there's right you, just, you meet a lot of people over the years that are just like it's just surprising because none of our bands really blew up like big on the national stage but like we had a pretty good thing going between like you know us and this prov and forgive Durden and daphne and some of the other bands and like you know but i never really thought that 
I, like I said, I just we, we never really patted ourselves on the back or thought that like, wow, we're, we're really making it, guys. <laughs> but but we, you know, it's surprising because you know down the line, it's like you. I meet people all the time that are like, oh my god, I was the biggest Gatsby's fan, and I'm like, what? How do you even know about Gatsby's? <laughs> and uh, so it's like I think about that when like some of these younger bands record with Casey. Like he's done some huge records. Like he's done you know Chiodos and Pierce the Veil, and he, oh, he's done a bunch of uh, the Portugal the Man stuff and. Um, it's just like I, I just wonder if for them it's like like they're recording with an icon or something. You know? <laughs> oh gosh, I mean, have, did you did you ever hear uh, Fear Before the March of Flames? I don't think I did. They were they were this kind of like uh, hardcore spaz. I don't even know what you'd call it, kind of band. <laughs> not not exactly up the alley of like it's. I guess it's in the same world as like the Blood Brothers, but it's like it's like kind of it was experimental hardcore, but. Um, Casey did uh, a couple records with them and they're just incredible and that like I meet I meet guys from you know freaking huge bands that are like oh my god that Fear Before record <laughs> and I'm like damn people love Casey's work <laughs> yeah definitely and the main project I want to talk to you about today is the Money Pit because that's sort of the first one that I really got into and this was obviously before I sort of even really knew who you were and the fact that you were previously in Gatsby's, which I had heard of through Fearless, but I never really, I guess, sat down and listened to the band. Sure. So I think it was probably Jacob Tender I had heard about this band from. And when I started listening to those first couple singles that you guys released, I was just like, wow, this is so different sort of from what everyone else was releasing at the time and it instantly became one of my favorite albums of 2015 so when you guys got together this is you and nick from gatsby's working on this how did you come about with the idea of what you guys wanted this project to sound like um it it kind of it happened very organically It, it wasn't super planned out like i I had uh, gotten really involved in kind of corporate life at my career and was in management for several years and, you know, hadn't really even picked up my guitar in quite a while. And um, I was just feeling really, really like, I don't know, unfulfilled, I would say. Um, and uh, one day I just was like, you know what, fuck it. I'm going to I'm gonna try playing guitar, see if I can still play the guitar. And I picked <laughs> up my guitar and started playing and there was some rust, but I was like, I can still do this. And... Um, I I put a recording program <coughs> on my iPad and um, started just hacking away at some demos and I hadn't written music in a couple years and I I surprised Casey and sent him a couple demos he's like what the fuck <laughs> like because it had literally been years I mean he just thought I'd closed the book on that you know and um, right. So, uh, but he was actually, and Casey's very critical. Like I said, I, I love him, my best friend, but what a dick. So like, he's, so like, he's never, he never gives like false compliments. He's never like, yeah, that's great. But when he doesn't really care, like he'll just straight up be like, eh. <laughs> and, and I showed him these demos and he's like, dude, these songs are really cool. And I was like, what the, whoa, holy shit. Like, man, these must be really good songs because <laughs> Casey doesn't give compliments easily. Uh, right. And so at that point, you know, Casey was like, dude, you should just like, why don't you just keep writing? Let's make an album. Let's make a record. And I was like, all right, but I mean, I can't sing. And 
He's like, well, do you know any singers? I was like, I, yeah, I know one singer. His name's Nick. <laughs> and so I hit up Nick with some of the demos and, um, you know, we talked about it. And we were, I think we were a little bit uh, cautious at first, um, you know, just because Gatsby's had been a while and we we weren't really, you know, sure about the working relationship about like, well, we're going to do a new band that's not Gatsby's and what, you know, what is this going to look like? But we started kind of poking away and the first thing nick turned in you know where i sent him music and he he sang lyrics and melodies on he sent it back and i was like holy shit this is great like i love it and it it kind of gave me an idea or like some sort of a reference point for where to write the rest of the record from and uh we kind of evolved it from there together and we were we really you know obviously there's going to be elements that make people think of gatsby's because you know it's nick's voice is very unique like i've never heard anyone that sounds like nick and Um, and then, you know, the kind of music that I write just, and I know you weren't really exposed to Gatsby's, uh, at first, you know, it's kind of more so that you found out about afterwards, but like, you know, the stuff that I write just sounds like the stuff that I write and it doesn't sound like the stuff anyone else writes. And (laughs) it's like, when you hear stuff like it, people are always like, oh, that sounds like Gatsby's. And, you know, I don't know that that's necessarily a good thing because, you know, obviously we didn't, uh, we didn't light the world on fire with our success and all the millions of records sold, (laughs) but, but it was, it was distinct. And so you know, we didn't want to write something that was just like, well, this is just Gatsby's part two, which I think, you know, some people, uh, you know, misunderstood it as and, and kind of compared it as, but there's some really fundamental differences between the money pit and Gatsby's with regard to the songwriting, the structuring, the, the things that we were, you know, trying to accomplish sonically that, I, you know, I think made it really its own thing. And to me, you know, like I, I just found the whole experience, you know, really fulfilling and like I felt a sense of pride and accomplishment at what we made with the money pit because we so successfully you know captured something and created something that was not Gatsby's and um yeah I'm rambling now (laughs) (laughs) no it's totally fine and was there sort of any interest in finding a label to put this out or did you guys decide from the beginning like this is something we're going to do no matter what whether or not a label is interested and I know you guys basically just released it independently and you also did a vinyl run that I believe did fairly well um yeah I mean you know we I'm not gonna dog any of our previous labels or anything like that but just you know the compromises that come into play when you know you're kind of letting someone else have a stake in in your music and your art is it's just a tough pill to swallow. It was, it was very difficult for us in Gatsby's and, you know, we just came to the conclusion, you know, long ago that we, we just want to have autonomy. We want to be able to, you know, steer our own ship. And so we were very reticent to even think about working with a, you know, a standard label again, especially with how things have evolved, you know, in the industry where the labels end up, you know, owning so much of, your shit and not just your record and um so that was definitely kind of our intent from the start was to own as much of it as possible and to just not have anyone else's hand in the pot and anyone else trying to you know have a say in what we do and what we write and what we release and so yeah and we and that was another thing we were just you know very very happy about is that this you know we made the record that we wanted to make and there was no no meddling and no, and there wasn't, not that we let anyone meddle with us with Gatsby's, but it was like, there was no struggle this time. There was never a a thing where somebody was trying to meddle and we had to tell them to fuck off. (laughs) Right. And you guys did a few variants for this release too. I believe you did two or three different 
variants for the vinyl. Yeah, yeah. There was a couple different splatters and then like a black and white one. But um, I think the I think the art was all all the same, from what I understand. Because I I haven't seen all of the variants in person. I've got I've got this, one of the splatters and just the standard. Nice. Yeah, and so when you guys decided you were going to do vinyl, were you sort of worried about that? Because as people in the music industry, you and I both know that pressing plants can get backed up <laughs> very quickly, especially when you have now we have two record store days. We have one in April and then Black Friday record store day. So was there any concern there that you wouldn't get the vinyl in time or did you plan far enough ahead to where you could have everything release all on the same day? Um, yeah, I mean, we, we planned very, very, very far out, uh, for, for the vinyl, you know, even that being said, I mean, it was, we were so far ahead of the game on that, but there was like, I mean, the, I think the vinyls got pressed in like Czechoslovakia or somewhere is where the vinyl pressing plant is. And, right. and it, 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 it was, you know, the, the lead time on it is just insane. And even though we were so far ahead and it was scheduled to come out at a certain time, it was still slightly delayed. So that was, yeah. that was, you know, I think by like a, a a month or two because it was supposed to come out i think in october and we ended up shipping in december um and that was not i mean i that wasn't doing any fault to our our you know us or the the pressing plants like that's just what happens with vinyl so but i mean all, all things being equal i was i was pretty happy with the turnaround time and that we got it out there and we we took the time to like write uh, handwritten like thank you cards to all the pre-orders. So it was like, you know hundreds of them that we went out. I mean that took forever, <laughs> but but it was fun and it was a neat little you know touch to throw in there for the people that supported it. it. It's a neat thing when you know you don't have a big label involved and you know it is kind of direct to consumer because it's you know the people that are supporting the band uh, are. They kind of have a you know partial ownership of it. They they paid for it, so it's like it's it's really neat to you know kind of connect with them on that more intimate uh, level. Yeah, of course. And since this was something that came out in 2015 and it's now 2017, are you guys considering doing more music as the Money Pit? Are we expecting anything from you guys this year? Yeah, you know, I just uh, met up with Nick the other day, and we were kicking around some ideas for the new Money Pit record, and it's definitely something that's on our radar, you know, Gatsby's and Money Pit, so we're just trying to, we we were both just, you know, talking over beers the other night, just about, like, man, we've just got a lot of things to say, and there's a lot a lot we want to communicate, and, um, you know, so it's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, do we want to communicate that via Gatsby's or via Money Pit, and, you know... Um, and the two things need to definitely be distinctly separate and have their own kind of sonic identities. So, um, we'll see. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure which, you know, which Avenue is what we're going to pursue first. And, and I'm, I'm, you know, fairly deep into recording a new album right now. Anyways, that's uh, not for Gatsby's or money pit. So, um, I've still got to get that whole beast wrapped up before I can move on to the next thing. Yeah, definitely. And obviously with so many different projects that you've done before, there's always, a chance that you could sort of revive those and bring those back. But with your life as it is now, do you see yourself going out and touring or are you more so just going to release music just more as a hobby for yourself? Um, yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's kind of a tough thing. Like I, I don't know. Like if, 
if the right opportunity came along and stuff, it's like I I think it'd be really fun to to get back out on the road and go play shows and stuff. Like we had a blast, you know, the Money Pit, we didn't we didn't play a ton. Um we played we did like a West Coast run with Acceptance and we've done some, you know, Seattle shows and a couple flyouts and stuff, but um you know, it was it was a blast. Like we we had the greatest time, but it's it's a far cry from our experience with Gatsby's. You know, where we toured full time for like six years, and it was like it was such a slog. Like we were just so right. But I mean, it, it was just a different world back then. Like I just remember how uncomfortable and difficult everything was getting everywhere. Like we had to print up binders of like MapQuest printouts because there weren't smartphones back then, you know, (laughs) like there was no internet, you know, like, I mean, the the internet existed, but you couldn't just have it while you're driving down the road. Like we, we had like iPod videos that we would download, you know, television shows onto these little, little tiny screens. (laughs) I mean, gosh, I had like, oh, the best thing was we had like Nintendo DSs. So we'd all play Mario Kart in the van, (laughs) but that was like the highlight of our day. (laughs) <laughs> so, so it's, yeah it's definitely totally different than it was then and do you feel that sort of gives you more freedom to pursue different projects at varying times because you know when you guys were in Gatsby's while it wasn't your sole focus it really seemed to be the main focus of the band because you were on two different labels for that and you sort of had these contractual obligations or I'm sure you at least did to Fearless when you signed with them. So now that you're sort of just independently releasing things as they come to you, do you think the new digital era of the music industry gives you more freedom to do that? Uh, it's it's kind of a double-edged sword, I guess. Because um, it's, right. it's hard, like, uh, it's hard, you know, every time I work on a project that, you know, it never it never just comes uh, out of a vacuum. You know, it's like, it, it. there's always this kind of context to it that, oh, this is the guy from Gatsby's. It's another Gatsby side project. And and like, I, I know we've been fairly prolific with so many of us making so many, you know, projects and stuff, but, um, you know, I, it, it, it almost feels like because you're not like fully committed to one thing and that's your only thing that, there's a less less of a sense of tangibility to it for some fans um okay where they they look at i think they kind of equate some of the stuff that we do to like it being um you know i i guess just less tangible than if we were out touring on it and we just had that one record for the year that that's all we did was we just toured on that record and played those songs over and over and over again and um <clears throat> so that's that's kind of a you know an unfortunate drawback to it um but i i do love I love that, you know, I can produce my own music now, um, you know, that I can go in the studio, record with Casey, that I can, you know, get music out to people that are interested in hearing it without having to deal with the pain in the ass that, you know, a record label is. <laughs> I mean, right. Labels, labels are just a pain in the ass. Like it's, it's, and it's just by nature. It's not because they're bad people or anything like that, but it's just that, you know, their interests aren't necessarily the same interests as the artists and it, it, you know they they have a business to run they you know it's like they they need to make money they have to turn a profit they've got to keep the lights on <laughs> and and that's never really been a, you know a concern of mine with my music even when we were doing it professionally like with Gatsby's it's like we never we never thought like 
you know, are worried about if we, you know, we're, we're making a song that people would like it or something. And so it's a crazy thing because it's something that I think about now a, a little bit, definitely more than I did in Gatsby's. Like in Gatsby's, I was just so like, well, if people don't like it, fuck them. And, and, <laughs> and like, it's, it's just, it's hilarious because we were just so like, just pigheaded about it that we were right about what music should sound like and everyone else could go fuck themselves. <laughs> and, and then, you know, now to be like, gosh, how did we ever have any success when we were like, like intentionally sabotaging ourselves by making like the weirdest music and like by doing things that were jarring to other people? <laughs> I don't know. Follies of youth. I'm back to the follies of youth. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I think that sort of wraps up what I have for you as far as the bands you've been in go. But I sort of just want to talk to you about some music in general now. Awesome. Is there anything from 2017 that you've really been enjoying so far? I know it's only been about a month here. You know, January is going to come to an end tomorrow. But have there been any January releases that have really stuck with you yet? Yeah, the... um. Have you listened to the new Dry Jacket record? I have not, but it's on my list. Dude, Dry Jacket. And that came out in January. That's the only thing that I've heard from this year so far, I think. Um, and it's glorious. It's just wonderful. Dry Jacket came out with an EP about two years ago. It was when right when the Money Pit was starting, uh, which I really enjoyed. It was 2015. Um, and it, it was kind of like a a tech pop kind of thing. Um, you know, there's, there's a little bit of math involved, uh, but the guitars are, you know, for the most part, fairly clean. It's not like a math rock band. It's like a, it's like a math pop band. It's really strange. Um, but I, they're, they're just glorious. Like my, one of my favorite bands is this old band called mock orange. Um, and dry jacket kind of reminds me of them a little bit, maybe a little bit of further seems forever. Um, just a lot of stuff from like when I was, you know, just so in love with music and so in love with the guitar. It's like, I hear it and it's like a highlight reel of a lot of my favorite stuff. And I just, I can't recommend it enough. So the, their new record's called for, for posterity and it's out on uh, hopeless. Nice. Yeah. I sadly am already behind on music listening, but I have listened to quite a few of the newer records. I've listened to cloud, nothings, Japan droids, and some of the, I wouldn't call them like, big rock records but they're definitely on the higher end of the scale there as far as bigger releases go and I think you know 2016 was a really great year for music in general like I had a ton of releases that I really enjoyed yeah but I I still think 2017 we're going to get a lot of stuff that will be enjoyable especially with you know the current state of the United States oh yeah <laughs> I'm excited about the new acceptance record. I I've had the pleasure of listening to it. Um, and, but I've, I deleted the uh, streaming link I had cause I just didn't want to be responsible for anyone else getting it. Right. Right. <laughs> I was like burn after reading. Uh, and it's, it's just amazing. Like I, I love that record. I, I've always been a huge acceptance fan. You know, like we were, we grew up with those guys, good friends with those guys. And, but even despite that, I was friends with bands that I didn't like their music <laughs> acceptance. I right. just, I've always loved it. I thought Phantoms was just a incredible record. It's really stood the test of time. And it's so exciting to hear this new record. Like they're so inspired and it's so fresh. And so, it's so modern, but still so acceptance. And, and like, I just, I can't wait for people to hear it. 
Yeah, and I'm really excited for the Menzingers album that will be out the day after this goes up. So it'll be out this Friday. And it's just such a good punk record. Like, they've become one of my favorite current punk punk bands. You know, I still like a lot of the bands, like the Ramones, the Clash from back in the 70s and 80s. But as far as current bands go, I think the Menzingers really have captured their sound and sort of what they want to do as a punk band. Sure. But yeah, I haven't looked too far ahead as for releases that are coming in, you know, like summer or late 2017. I feel like I just I can't plan that far ahead as far as music listening goes and what's new and everything. So I'm trying to take it more by a monthly basis here. (laughs) So, you know, today and tomorrow, I'll try to catch up on the January stuff I missed and then focus on february going forward here so i have to take it in in smaller chunks i know some people are like oh well this album might happen and this might happen (laughs) i'm like i'll worry about those albums when they are announced (laughs) and then i can start you know sort of planning what i'll be listening to i'm i'm very much like a slow to come around kind of guy for the most part like it sometimes it takes me years before i actually give a record a chance you know like i'll yeah everyone will be all about some band and that almost kind of annoys me because i don't like the herd mentality so like (laughs) you know i'm just you know i want to i want to hear something with no context and just be able to check it out like i I really get a kick out of like you know even these days listening to bands from our era that i never listened to you know like i'll I'll go back and listen right. to to some band that I was just too annoyed to listen to at the time or just like was just just oblivious to. I just wasn't aware of. And I'm like, oh, you know what? I never listened to that band. Let's check that out. And then you end up falling in love. And it's like a, it's a time capsule. It's so cool. Like I just I some bands that I, I came around to like super late, like after they were already defunct were like, you know, Hot Hot Heat is like one of my favorite bands. And I just at the time I was just not interested. I just thought it was kind of like a a hipster kind of thing, and <laughs> I was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is all the spazzy kids at our shows wearing hot hot heat shirts, and um, you know, it was it was probably like three or four years ago. Um, one of my good friends was like dude, have you ever listened to Hot Hot Heat Elevator? And I was like, no. Oh, gosh, that band's annoying. It's that guy with the big hair. And, and he's like, <laughs> he's like, dude, you have to listen to this record. I was like, all right. So I started listening to it, and I was like, I just fell in love. It's in my top ten records of all time now. And, um, I, you know, over over the last few years, I've kind of experienced their whole discography, like one disc at a time, and have just they're like maybe my favorite band. They're they're definitely up there. And and it's, it's just so funny because, like, I, you know, what so three or four years ago was like 2013 i think maybe 2014 was when i listened to them and that that was like 10 years late like where was i this right. whole time <laughs> yeah and i feel the same more so i think about punk bands lately like i mentioned i'm a big fan of the clash and the ramones and obviously i was not around when they were banned so that's a little bit of a different situation but i've read recently a book called Spoke and it's by Scott it's compiled by Scott Crawford who did the Salad Days film okay. about a bunch of punk bands yeah. and you know I had heard of probably a handful of the bands in there but then it was sort of similar to your situation with Gatsby's where you had the band members had all of these different side projects and you know it's like I'm finding out about all these 
different bands that Ian McKay was in that I had <laughs> no clue existed. So it's like after reading that book, and it's more of a coffee table book, so you get a ton of pictures and everything yeah. in it too. And it's basically just the people from these bands and this time period talking about the bands and how they sort of started and that sort of thing. So it's a really cool look into the 80s punk scene in Washington, D.C. And I was just like, man, I had no clue about any of these. Well, not any of these, but a lot of these bands. So I feel like that sort of gives me something to do whenever I manage to have the time to listen to older music that isn't new music that I need to pay attention to because running a music website makes you do that. (laughs) (laughs) It kind of tugs at the heartstrings a little bit too, because you're like, you know, when I discovered Hot Hot Heat finally, I was just like, you know, and like over, over the last couple of years, it's like they became like one of my favorite bands and it's like, they're not really, you know, active anymore. They re- they released, right. they released my favorite record of last year, uh, last year's their self-titled record, but they announced it as this is our final record. We're not going to be doing hot heat stuff anymore. And, and I'm yeah. just like, damn, why did I sleep on this band? <laughs> That's so sad. <laughs> like, cause there's, there's been other times where like I've, I've gotten, you know, I was into a band when they were actively touring the record that I loved. And, and that's, a, that's really a magical thing too. Cause like, like I was, I, I really, really, really got into Arctic Monkeys. I, I didn't care for their first record or their EPs or anything like, but when, um, Favorite Worst Nightmare came out, uh, I heard the song Brian Storm on the radio and I was like, who the fuck is this band? This sounds, this band's like, amazing. <laughs> and I, um, I, and there's this is Arctic Monkeys. I was like, this is Arctic Monkeys? This is cool. And I went and right. I bought the record and I was just like obsessed with it. I listened to it so much and I went and saw them uh, in Manhattan and um, it was just incredible. It was like one of the best shows of my life and it was like, it was just so neat to play see them play that whole record. And, you know, I'll always look back on that fondly that I got to see them at that age playing those songs not as like hey play the old songs but those were like the songs that they thought were the best songs at the time and and it was it was just so neat and I'm, like I'll, I'll always like kind of look back on that fondly like when I if, I if I'm having a bad day I'll look think about that show and I'm like oh so good <laughs> yeah and I think the convenient thing for me at least will be that a lot of these bands they didn't necessarily last too long, so I think a lot of them only have maybe one or two releases out there. So I'll have to sort of go through, find those, put them in a playlist or something somewhere and just <laughs> like, give them a listen. But it's always fun finding whether it's new artists or just artists you totally didn't pay any attention to. It's always fun sort of diving into discographies and everything. But I think that wraps up what I have for you today. As always, it's been a joy podcasting with you. (laughs) I won't take you out of your comfort zone too much. Maybe next time we'll get back to Star Wars for Welcome to Geekdom. Thank goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Well, again, thank you so much for coming on, Bobby. Hey, it was was so much fun. And I I hope it's not too boring for people to listen to me talk about myself for an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to our listeners, hopefully you enjoyed this. And as always, thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of your day. Bye.